please be aware the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and yes, in some cases, even offensive. Listener discretion is therefore advised. Welcome, heathens. Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the things that go bump in the night. Monsters lurking under your bed or deep in the forest. That unknown creature lurking just out of sight. Some frighteningly imagined creatures, ghosts, supernatural beings, and even a few unsolved mysteries. So... Sit back, grab your favorite drink, and prepare to be transported to today's Dark Enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, well, I have something a little bit special for you. I had some really interesting short stories, and instead of, you know, making super, super short episodes, I decided I'm going to give you guys a double shot, because I know you want a shot of your baby's love. All right, I'm not singing today because, well, I sound horrible. All right, with that said, we will still be playing our drinking game. And as you know, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. Please, please, please be safe. The choice of libation, as always, is yours, my darlings, so choose your poison accordingly. All right, now for the game part. And since today's game is going to be a bit of an advanced game, (laughs) be prepared. For the first story, how about every time I say haunt, or any version thereof, that means haunting, haunted, haunted I don't know, whatever. <laughs> That's going to be a single shot. And every time I say television, that's going to be a double shot. Now, when I get to the second story, I will give you some new trigger words, so you don't have to worry about trying to remember them. All right, now that we got the business end out of the way, we can jump headfirst into today's Dark Enigma. And for tonight's first feature, we have a story about ghosts in the machines. Literally, we're going to be talking about haunted televisions. I know, just what you need to hear when you're stuck at home and your television is really your only friend. Well, you know what? Suck it up, buttercup, because here we go. Even as we've progressed as a species and our technology has become ever more advanced, stories of hauntings and communications from the dead have always followed us around. The only difference is that they seem to have evolved along beside us, changing along with our world and seemingly working their way into our technology. Whereas once ghosts leapt out from the old decrepit houses and Ouija boards, now they seem to have found a whole new world of avenues through which to break through the wall that separates their domain from ours. And these these new ways can be just as creepy as the old ways. Scary, and indeed terrifying as anything that has come before it. One of the more interesting incarnations of hauntings to emerge in the past century is the rise of ghosts that seem to be drawn to televisions, allegedly traveling into these devices through unknown means and reaching out through the screen into our living rooms and deep into our own nightmares. That's right, tales of ghosts in televisions have been around almost as long as televisions themselves. 
Since the technology first became available to the masses, there have been claims that spectral forces had a way of speaking through them, or even using them as platforms from which to vault into our world. In the beginning, such reports were most likely due to the public uncertainty of the new technology and its innate mysteriousness, combined with the tendency for early, earlier TVs to frequently have ghosting or double images, fog, sound distortion, and strange static patterns, all of which served to spook the general public. All of this made the TV ripe for stories of hauntings and spectral images broadcast into people's living rooms. A bizarre world beyond our own where spirits and ghosts could fly through the airwaves. Indeed, in TV's early days, some superstitious people who were suspicious and anxious about all of this talk of electromagnetic waves and cathode ray tubes saw televisions as almost portals into another dimension altogether. And some paranoid folks saw the new technology as the perfect way for the government or shadowy organizations to carry out covert surveillance on them. I'm going to pause right there and just say, if you don't already know that the government is watching you through your Xbox and all the smart TVs, dude, you have no idea. But I promise you, they're watching. And they're getting an eyeful when they're watching me because I like to watch TV naked. So, screw them. (laughs) Alright, where was I? Oh yeah. People just did not understand how TVs work. And this made them enigmatic, often spooky machines with all of the requisite tales of strangeness that comes with all of that. One of the earliest publicized accounts of a haunted television set was one owned by a family in, you guessed it, Long Island, New York in 1953. Because everything happens in New York. That's why it's great. That's why they named it twice, right? Because the great stuff happens in New York. It concerns the Travers family, who claimed at the time that their TV was inhabited by the ghost of a woman who would jump out of the background of television shows or creep out from static. Now, I'm just going to stop there for a moment because I'm telling you, if I'm watching TV and all of a sudden one of the characters from my TV show starts coming at me, I don't know about you, but running is not going to cover exactly what I'm going to be doing because I will be knocking people down to get the fuck out of there. I don't know about you. Anyways. The woman's voice was also said to echo out from the TV, even when it was turned off or unplugged completely. The story was so well known that it featured in an issue of the New York Times. But when curious reporters flocked to the residence to try and get evidence of the haunting, the spectral woman appeared to be shy and never appeared to anyone except the family. Yeah, I know. I'm scratching my head on that one too, but, you know, maybe they just didn't understand. Another very eerie and widely circulated story occurred in 1968 when a woman in Minnesota claimed that an outstretched hand had reached out from the black murk beyond the screen of her unplugged television and pressed its palm right up against the glass. Okay, I'm just going to say if I see that, I'm definitely pissing my pants (laughs) because that would freak me out. The startled woman managed to take a photograph of the alleged ghostly hand as it began to fade away, and the picture has made the rounds ever since. And I promise you, you can Google it. I did. It freaked me out. And I didn't sleep for two days. So, warning. According to the woman and her husband, the same hand had appeared on one other occasion as well about a year prior. 
The photo itself is creepy, but rather inconclusive, with theories ranging from an outright hoax to a burned image or a malfunction, to an actual example of a spirit trying to communicate through an electronic device. I'm going to tell you I've seen the picture. It's I'm going to say it's a 5 out of 10 for me. I don't know. You know, I'm I'm going to lean towards a hoax until somebody proves to me it's not. That's kind of how I am. Anyways, indeed, the whole phenomena of ghosts trying to communicate with the living through such devices gained much traction in later years and became known by paranormal researchers as Instrumental Transcommunication, or ITC. That's going to be fun because we're going to talk about it. ITC phenomena is said to occur on devices as varied as televisions, radios, computers, handheld devices such as iPods or iPhones, and even fax machines. Although the best known form of it is, and you know it, say it with me guys, electronic voice phenomena or EVP, in which the voices of spirits are recorded on audio equipment, often inaudible at the time of the actual occurrence and not noticed until playback. That's right. Throughout the 1970s and 80s, the ITC phenomena as it relates to TV, really gained its traction and got its roots in, becoming quite popular with researchers of the weird, and there were numerous supposed video and audio recordings of these TV-bound ghosts at the time. Because I'm telling you, if I die, I definitely want to die and live in my TV. Because, seriously. Like, I want to be a part of my favorite shows. That would be awesome. (laughs) Okay, anyways. The investigators in these cases claimed that this phenomenon had even been documented with TVs that were turned off or completely unplugged. One of the pioneers of using televisions to try and pick up signals from the dead was a German ITC researcher by the name of Klaus Schreiber, who used an apparatus that he called the Videokommen. By the way, that's German for video coming. Anyways which used a video camera aimed at a TV set that was switched on but not attached to an aerial, and the signal looped the output from the camera back into the TV. This loop was said to produce dramatic results, with various faces apparently blooming out from the white noise on sets. And on one occasion, an actress from Austria named Romy Schneider supposedly clearly appeared on a TV in one such session years after her death. In 1986, another ITC researcher and physicist by the name of Ernst Sinkowski, yeah, say that ten times fast, claimed to have attained a clear, unmistakable image of a spirit from a TV set. In this case, a brief feed of video was picked up depicting the spirit of a dead EVP researcher by the name of Hannah Bushbeck, who had died in 1978. In the video, she allegedly appeared recognizable, yet much younger than she had been when she had died. Because I'm just going to say that if I die, I definitely want to be younger. Like 22. Seriously, that was like a really good year. A similar bizarre story comes from Swedish film producer who was also one of the early pioneering researchers of the ITC phenomena. His name is Fredrik Jorgensen, and he... He also died in 1987. In the strange account, Jurgensen purportedly sent out a telepathic message to fellow researcher Cloud Thorlin as he lied dying, telling him that when he died, he intended to try and send out a message through Thorlin's TV during his funeral. 
Thorlin apparently then skipped the funeral in order to stay home and try and record the bizarre event. And just a side note here, is it possible that maybe he just didn't want Thorlin to go to his funeral? I don't know, maybe. At the exact moment of the funeral, Jorgensen's spirit was said to have appeared on Thorlin's TV screen just as promised, and was said to be clearly the image of the dead man. Interestingly, when he was alive, Jorgensen had had a hobby of recording bird songs. He claimed that one day when he had been listening to a playback of one such recording, he had heard the unmistakable voice of his dead mother saying, Friedrich, you are being watched. Friedel, my little Friedel, can you hear me? With, of course, Friedel being the pet name that only his mother had known and called him by. Yeah, I don't know about that one. A weird story also comes from the country of Bhutan, where there supposedly lies a haunted TV long banished to a darkened remote hillside. In a small remote village called Sinto, there is an old television set said to not only be possessed by the devil, but also inhabited by the evil spirit of a dead man and at least one other ghost. Because, you know, the devil walks into a bar, he's got to have at least two friends with him, right? The TV was said to make noises and turn itself on even when unplugged, and it's said to be responsible for bringing disease and bad luck to all who own it, eventually passing through three separate families tormented by it before it was examined by a psychic who warned that the TV had to be banished. The frightened villagers then took the cursed TV to a remote location and performed a sort of exorcism rite before leaving it where it lie where it continues to sit over two decades later. The TV is still believed to harbor evil spirits and indeed has been blamed for infecting the entire area with its dark magic. Visitors are warned to stay away and the old decrepit set is said to still instill madness in those who come a little bit too close. I don't know about you, but let's take a trip to Bhutan because I want to see this TV. But I'm not going alone. Somebody's got to go with me. Research into ITC phenomena has gotten so in-depth and, well, frankly, weird that an actual station was set up by a group called the Transcommunication Study Circle of Luxembourg Lab in the country of Luxembourg, with the expressed aim of recording and documenting attempts to communicate from the dead through devices such as radios, computers, and televisions. The group reportedly picking up hundreds of lengthy, very clear messages from an enigmatic group of beings calling themselves the Time Stream, and who claim to be from an extra-dimensional planet called Marduk. The messages received are, are allegedly often relayed by a high-pitched robotic voice from a being that calls itself the Technician. Now, I'm just going to say, is any of this real or is just somebody out there fucking with them because I'm going to guess it's somebody fucking with them because I would do that. I would totally do that. Yes, I am from another extra dimensional planet and I am here to destroy you. <laughs> that would totally be me. There's been a great amount of debate on whether EVP or ITC in any form carries any basis in fact or if it's just seeing or hearing who wants to picking it out from the noise and imbuing it with our own meaning. You know, basically hearing what we want to hear. However, considering the amount of work and research being done into the realm of ghosts communicating or making themselves known through modern electronic devices, it seems that the dynamic of hauntings has evolved along with the technology. When looking at these cases, a very intriguing question begins to present itself, and that is, if they exist, 
do ghosts and spirits have a means and ability to pervade our modern equipment and reach out through the veil between the real world and the spiritual one? The barrier between life and death? And are our TVs more than just a sum of sophisticated parts to display images, but also a sort of potential portal between these realms? If so, how would it work? And what would the other side have to say to us? Or is this all just as the skeptics say, reading too much into things? But whatever idea you subscribe to, it's easy to read reports such as these and be beset with a certain unease when the TV screen goes to static or white noise, which, you know what, let's be honest, doesn't happen anymore because if anybody doesn't have a smart TV, well, I don't want to know them. And who knows? Who's watching us anyways? I hope they're getting an eyeful. (laughs) All right, my heathens. That brings us to our second story of the night. And as promised, we have new trigger words for our game. So, for the second half, how about every time I say fairy, or any version thereof, that's a single shot. And every time I say Celtic, that's going to be a double shot. All right, my darlings, I hope you're ready for some scary encounters with some evil fairies. Oh, that hurt. (laughs) Okay, most people will imagine fairies as little pixies flying about on gossamer wings. You know, benevolent sprites which are shy at best and invisible to us at worst. Most often linked in with Celtic legends, fairies in some form or another actually play an important role in the folklore of many cultures throughout the world, where they have been portrayed as everything from nature spirits to fallen angels to possibly demons. They come in all shapes and sizes and are attributed with an array of paranormal powers, but far from being merely the denizens of legend, there has actually been a good number of very real fairy sightings and encounters over the centuries. They are indeed far too numerous to list, but one thing they mostly tend to adhere to is that fairies are for the most part benevolent, or at the very least innocuous and relatively unconcerned with us. Yet, there are other reports and accounts, a little bit rarer, that paint fairies that we envision in a much different light, that of destructive, threatening entities that wish to do us harm in one way or another. You know, kind of like your ex. Anyways. One early and quite sinister account with alleged evil fairies. Well, I pulled this off of a website called AnomalyInfo.com. In 1911... A Walter Yeeling Evans Wentz, whew, say that five times fast, published a book called The Fairy Faith in Celtic Countries, in which he interviewed a 73-year-old Neil Colton, who claimed that as a youth in 1853, he'd had a rather strange and frightening fairy encounter. Colton claimed that one summer day, he'd been put with his brother and cousin gathering berries out in the countryside when they heard some inexplicable, ethereal music wafting through the air from beyond some nearby rocks. When the group went to investigate, they claimed that they had come across a band of fairies dancing in a clearing, and one of these little folk, a woman dressed in red, suddenly noticed that they were being watched and rushed forward with decidedly aggressive intent. The mysterious woman is claimed to have surged forth with a stick or a rush in her hand to strike the cousins across the cheek, after which she reached out to grab Colton's brother's arm to keep from falling. 
This sent the group scurrying away in a panic, and at some point on their flight back to the home, Colton's cousin collapsed to the ground, seemingly dead. The girl's father and a priest by the name of Father Ryan then came to the scene, and Ryan said a prayer over her body, after which she slowly and groggily awoke. The priest would come to the conclusion that it had only been her grabbing Colton's brother that had kept her from being taken by the fairies forever. Ooh, grabbing your brother saves you, I guess. Even predating this rather weird encounter was another from 1757, in which a British cleric by the name of Edward Williams claimed that he had been playing in a field as a child with some other children when they had seen a strange procession of eight couples marching along, dressed in red and measuring only a few inches in height. Oddly, each one of them had been carrying a minuscule white handkerchief in its hand. According to the report, as soon as the little folk realized that they were being watched, one of the men of the group aggressively chased the children, and it was reported that they could see a full and clear view of his ancient, swarthy, grim complexion. I don't know what that meant, but woof. As the children ran for their lives, Williams claimed that the little people had shouted and cursed at them in some alien, unintelligible language. Williams would apparently remain perplexed by this incident his whole life, allegedly conceding, I'm forced to class it among my unknowables. I think it's interesting that both of these tales have people dressed in red. I think there's a theme going on here anyways. In the 1800s, there was a report of what appears to have been a whole murderous group of fairy folk that rose up to attack witnesses. This case seems to revolve around the discovery of a fairy fort by a moat, which seems to have been fiercely protected by whatever magical creature resided there. The report, related by a Claire Westrup, said as follows, and I quote, At the natural moat crowned by the small stone ring wall of Kroghatyun, near Listonvarna, yeah, I, I practiced on those ones, by the way, we were told to cross ourselves as a protection against the Danan, the place was, nevertheless, undoubtedly regarded by the older people living near it as a most dangerous fairy fort, and we were told how certain badger hunters, who brought drink with them, after a long festival on its summit, got benighted there. They eventually returned home, sobered by fright, as they suddenly saw the whole fleet of them coming up the mound and escaped only just in time. End quote. I just want you to know, I practiced those two like really long names be be impressed because it took me a lot of tries to get those fairies have supposedly displayed an alarming habit of kidnapping human beings in particular babies and there are many such reports one account listed on the fairiest website details the report of a woman who in 1844 gave birth to a baby some time later, the infant was lying in bed with the mother and father when the mother awoke to find the baby gone. She would soon find that it had been taken by the fairy folk, and the report would say of the incident, and I quote, Uttering an exclamation of fear, lest the fairies, or fairiers, should have taken the child, she jumped out of bed, and there, sure enough, a number of the little sandy things had got the baby at the foot of the bed and were undressing it. They fled away through a hole in the floor, laughing as if they shrieked, and snatching up her child on exa examination, she found that they had laid all the pins head to head as they took them out of the dress. 
For months afterwards, she always slept with the child between herself and husband, and used carefully to pin it by its bedclothes to the pillow and sheets, that it might not be snatched hastily away. This happened in the old house which stood where the new one now stands on the south side of the vicarage gate. A woman, as she heard tell, had a child changed and one, a poor thing, left in its place. But she was very kind to it and every morning on getting up she found a small piece of money in her pocket. My informant firmly believes in their existence and wonders how it is that of late years no such things have been seen. End quote. Now, more modern-day account of fairies with dark intent exists as well. In 1972, American folk singer Artie Trom claimed that he had been walking around when he heard a chorus of strange voices in the air command him to run, man, run. The voices were supposedly accompanied by a strange melody of what sounded like fiddles and pipe instruments, which unsettled the singer immensely. As it all grew more urgent, with no discernible source, Trom beat a hasty retreat. As he made his way through the woods, he claimed that he had been met with a thunderous sound like a crackling of some sort, as well as what he could only describe as great motion. In the meantime, he found that his head was besieged by a deafening cacophony of noise and music, and he would say of this, My head was swarming with thousands of voices, thousands of words making no sense. I'm going to pause here for a moment and just say, 1972, folk singer, I'm thinking he was high as a kite. Yeah, he was tripping balls. Anyways, back to the story. He was only able to defy whatever strange force was influencing itself upon him when he exited the woods, after which the music and voices melted away. It all seems rather aggressive to be sure. Anyways, another report comes from even more recent, when according to ParanormalEncounters.com, a reader claimed that he had come face to face with some sort of wood sprite in Australia called a wood dargy. Yeah, I know I mispronounced that. Anybody from Australia, go ahead and send me a nasty email. Tell me how bad I fucked that up. Sorry, I tried. Woodgery, which were described as well known by the Aborigines and as mischievous, sometimes violent little people. You know what? I'm going to say there's a lot of people that describe me that way. <laughs> Anyways, the witnesses claim that in the 1980s he had been in the Perth suburb of Coolangoop as a child, along with his brother and cousins. They had been playing hide-and-seek in some bushland when the witness says he had heard a noise nearby. When he turned towards the source, he claims that he saw standing there a small aboriginal man who measured a mere 13 inches in height. The tiny little man had in his hands a spear, and he glared at the witness angrily before throwing the spear, which lodged itself in the witness's foot. Oddly, when the little man retreated, the spear and the wound allegedly completely vanished. Okay, I'm going to say he was a little boy, so he wasn't tripping balls, but that's a tall tale. <laughs> now, if news reports are to be believed, then the phenomena on evil fairies is only getting worse into modern times. According to express.co.uk, in 2014, a census on fairy sightings was carried out by the Fairy Investigation Society. Because who else would do it, right? And they recorded 450 fairy encounters. 
According to these reports, the trend seems to be that these alleged fairies are getting nastier, more sinister and ominous as as time goes by, with reports of small but aggressive fairies, tree monsters, and grumpy gnomes dressed in as Oxford scholars. I think somebody's having some fun there. One Dr. Simon Young of the International Studies Institute in Florence, Italy, says of this trend, and I quote, I don't believe in fairies, wings, and glitter, but I most certainly believe my witnesses. There is no question that something happened to these people. The question is, what? People's idea of fairies has changed, but it is odd how many have reported seeing things that resemble century-old legends. If you go back 500 or 600 years, fairies make people jump. They see them as fearsome and potentially dangerous beings. This has certainly come back. Fairies seem to have changed. Gone are the friendly ones. Now people are reporting a scarier, creepier underside. End quote. While fairies may seem to be portrayed as mostly mythical, well, fairy tale creatures, <laughs> they certainly do dwell in the world of the weird, with numerous sightings and accounts of real fairy encounters all the way up to present day. While most of these reports tend to feature fleeting creatures that seem to not want much to do with us, there are others that, as we've seen here, show that they may at times have more sinister motives, which we may not fully understand. Whether there's any truth to these stories or not, it certainly seems that at at the very least, they are not always portrayed as the carefree, frolicking sprites that many of us may envision, and there may be darker underpinnings to the legends of fairies. All right, my darlings, we've come to the end of our episode, and I thank you for joining me here today. I hope you'll take some time to reach out to me and share your thoughts on what you think. And if you happen to be an evil fairy, by all means, send me an email. You can always reach me and the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a suggestion for a future show, or you just want to tell me what you think, or you're bored and you want to talk, drop me a line because I do reply to every single email. On that note, my darlings, that's all the time I have for you this evening. I thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio, and don't forget to tune in next time, my darlings. See you, my heathens. I love you. We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.